uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. My phone is on Do Not Disturb, so James White cannot text me during the podcast as I texted him during his podcast yesterday. Um, that was funny. But it is good to have you with us. This is Squirrel Chatter a podcast dedicated primarily to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. And we webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And then the audio of the show is available for download at most of the big podcatchers. So you can find us wherever you find us. And if you can't find us there, we're somewhere else. We are a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. Doctrinally sound, edifying, entertaining. You're sure to find something that piques your interest. Well, today is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. And this is the last time that we are going to be together for about a week and a half as I am leaving Sunday after church to head down to Shepherd's Conference. Um, Lord willing, I will arrive in the uh, L greater Los Angeles area to my host's house by Monday night. So I will be, uh, I'll be driving most of Sunday. So if you, and Monday. So if you, if it comes to your mind, please say a prayer for me for safe travel and good roads and weather and it's we we've we had more snow yesterday, so I'm I'm hoping that we're nearing the end of it. I'd really like to have good roads <laughs> for the drive south. Um, I have been stuck in snowstorms on my way to Shepherd's Conference more than once. Um, north of Cedar City, uh, the, there's a pass. I don't know what it's called, but big hill on I-15 as you're going through Utah. And I got stuck at the bottom of it on my very first Shepherds Conference. I got stuck at the bottom of it and had to wait for them to plow the road. And when I finally got over the hill, the hotel I had planned on staying at, I didn't have reservations. You normally, you don't need to make reservations in the middle of winter. Nobody ever fills up. Well, they had filled up because everybody who had you know, been planning on going to Vegas or wherever they were heading. They sat so long on the, the, the side of the road waiting for the plows to clear the road and waiting for them to open the road over the hill that they had all pulled in and filled up that hotel. So that was, the, that was my very first Shepherds Conference, and I ended up grabbing a few hours sleep in a highway rest area. <laughs> that, was, that was my sleep on the way down. Not an auspicious start. I, uh, I'm probably not going to try to make it that far south. My goal is to get past Provo. Um, if I get to Nephi, I will be 
have driven about eight or nine hours. So if I can get off the road at Nephi, it'll be before midnight. I can get a good night's sleep and then finish my run into uh, into L.A. on Monday. So, but uh, I will not be podcasting for the next week and a half. Um, again, I'm reserving the right to podcast if if uh, something comes up, and I, I will have equipment with me. But there will not be any regularly scheduled squirrel chatter for the next week and a half. So today is it. Um, I will miss being with you, but since we're not doing daily readings in the scripture this year, um, I didn't. I don't need to keep up. So I can just go dark for a little while, and then we'll be back on the... What day is that? Oh, gosh. Look at the... I should have looked this up. Let me pull up my calendar and tell you when I will be back. All right. We will have Squirrel Chatter on the morning of Wednesday, March 15th. So 12 days from now, Squirrel Chatter will return. Lord willing, I will be back from California and all will have gone well. So I am looking forward to the trip. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of friends. Um, like I said, I got friends from in the, you know, Grace Church friends that are down there. And then I, I got Southern California friends that are down there. And then I've got friends coming from all over the United States. And it's it really is um, like a family reunion. Um, and and I, I love Shepherd's Conference. I love this time of year. To get down there and hang out with everybody, rain or shine, it's just a it's just a good time to get down there and hang out and see friends, hear good preaching, talk theology. You know, it's just it's a good time. So I'm looking forward to it. I will. I don't normally drink coffee after one or two o'clock, but it is my plan. It's Sunday, when I leave here heading south. I will have a full cup of coffee and a full thermos to get me down the road because I am going to be up late. And so, you know, if it disturbs my sleep, so be it. I'll get enough rest that I can continue on. All right. What do we got going today? It's Federalist Friday. So we're looking at Federalist number 18. Um, and I've had a busy week. I have not read through this one ahead of time. Um, probably will not offer a lot of commentary unless something just leaps out at me. Um, obviously, I've read Federalist 18, but I haven't reviewed it before today's show. Normally, I've read through them at least once during the week preparing for the show. But, excuse me, this week has been seriously, seriously busy getting ready to leave and taking care of some stuff around the house and things that had to be done before I go. And so... Just pointing that out, that I haven't read through it before, so we may, or this week, so I probably will not offer a lot of commentary. I certainly didn't make any notes. But we got prayers from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And as I said, we got Federalist number 18 coming up. All right, let us begin with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. 
Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Today's devotion is entitled, Angels Minister to Jesus. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Matthew 4.11 After Jesus' greatest foe left, angels came and began to minister to him. It is quite fitting that holy angels should come to care for and comfort him after the prince of the fallen angels had harassed him with three major temptations. To provide the benefits of angelic ministry was just another way for the Father to register for the Father to register his approval of the Son and signify the Son's worthiness. At the first sign of confrontation with Satan, Christ could easily have summoned help from more than twelve legions of angels, Matthew twenty six fifty three. But he obediently waited for the Father to send assistance according to the divine schedule. We are not told what kind of ministry the angels performed, but they undoubtedly brought Jesus food to relieve his hunger, and spiritually they would have worshipped the Son and delivered to him many words of assurance and comfort from his Father. The devil's temptations of Jesus failed, whereas God's testing of his Son succeeded. Time after time, Jesus had answered with the ideal response to each test. The Lord also provides his saints with the power to resist the adversary's schemes, James 4, 7. Knowing that Satan will certainly persist in challenging believers, just as he challenged Jesus, but for every new and repeated temptation, God always gives us a way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Ask yourself, perhaps you're the giving ministry type. You freely give and share and do and give comfort. But how well do you receive God's comfort and his ministry to you? How welcome are you to the caring compassion of others? To meet needs is noble, but to admit our own is still necessary. All right, good word today. Federalist Friday, Federalist number 18. The title... The same subject continued, the insufficiency of the present confederation to preserve the union. And again, as I mentioned, I believe last week, think about this long form of presenting a case, this long form of discussion of an issue. In our world of sound bites, in our world of a 24-hour news cycle, where a one or two minute clip is all that makes it to the national news of anything a politician says. Um, 
it's good to have an example like this. And it is sad that we have lost this. Um, just recently, um, I believe it was Tim Scott, a congressman or senator, I'm not even sure, but back during the 2020 riots, he wrote an article for the New York Times, conservative member of Congress, like I said, I don't remember if he's a representative or a senator, but a conservative member of Congress wrote an opinion piece about the Black Lives Matter riots and stuff that were going on. And the New York Times printed it. I believe rightly so. But there was such a backlash from liberal elites in the newsroom at the New York Times that the editor was actually fired. The head of the, 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 the editor that decided to run that story written by a sitting U.S. congressman, you know, like I said, a representative or, or, or a senator, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look him up. But he's, he's not one of my congressmen. <laughs> he's not my representative or senator. So I, I, I kind of get vague at some of the ones from across the country. Um, it, he's somebody I'm aware of. He's somebody I pay attention to, but I have not memorized all 435 House members or 100 senators by any means. Um, I, and as interested as I am in politics, that's not <laughs> one of the things that I'm interested in doing. So anyway, there was this huge outcry. But I would love to see more government officials writing long-form explanations of their support or opposition to various policies. It would be good for our nation to have that available. And it would be really good if people would read it and discuss it. Now, I don't know if that age is just gone with television and radio and the constant buzz that we keep around us. And I'm as guilty as anybody. I have stuff playing all the time. With that fact, perhaps it's uh, unreasonable to expect people to actually sit and read stuff like this. Um, and I, I just, I mean, that's, you know, I read theological journals. <laughs> um Things that are put, I, I have some political journals too, but I read mainly theological journals and I read several of them. Um, I, 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 I always read the Master Seminary Journal. I always read the Detroit, Ballast, Detroit Baptist Seminary Journal. I used to read Bibsack, but it got too expensive. And, and uh, sadly, Dallas Seminary has drifted. It's not the seminary it used to be. Um, but I like good, good theological journals to make me, you know, think about stuff. Um, I like reading books on theology and, and stuff like that. And that takes time that most people cannot or are unwilling to apply to these things. 
But I, I think looking back on the Federalist Papers, and as I said, it struck me last week that this form of, of long-form presentation of pros and cons, we, we've lost something in our political discourse by losing that sort of long-form thing. All right, Federalist number 18, the same subject continued, the insufficiency of the present Confederation to preserve the Union for the Independent Journal, authors Alexander Hamilton and James Madison, to the people of the state of New York. Among the confederacies of antiquity, the most considerable was that of the Grecian republics, associated under the Amphicatonic Council. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. For the best accounts transmitted of this celebrated institution, it bore a very instructive analogy to the present confederation of the American states. The members retained the character of independent and sovereign states and had equal votes on the federal council. This council had a general authority to propose and resolve whatever it judged necessary for the common welfare of Greece, to declare and carry on war, to decide in the last resort all controversies between the members, to find the aggressing party, to employ the whole force of the Confederacy against the disobedient, to admit new members. The Amphictyons were the guardians of religion and the immense riches belonging to the temples of, of Delphos. There they had the right of jurisdiction in controversies between the inhabitants and those who came to consult the oracle. As a further provision for the efficacy of the federal powers, they took an oath mutually to defend and protect the United Cities, to punish the violators of this oath, and to inflict vengeance on sacrilegious despoilers of the temple. In theory, and upon paper, this apparatus of powers seems amply sufficient for all general purposes. In several material instances, they exceed the powers enumerated in the Articles of Confederation. The Amphictyons had on their hands the superstition of the times, one of the principal engines by which government was then maintained. They had a declared authority to use coercion against refractory cities and were bound by oath to exert this authority on the necessary occasions. Very different, nevertheless, was the experiment from the theory. The powers, like those of the present Congress, were administered by deputies appointed wholly by the cities in their political capacities and exercised over them in the same capacities. Hence, the weakness, the disorders, and, finally, the destruction of the Confederacy. The more powerful members, instead of being kept in awe and subordination, um, tyrannicized though successively over the rest. Athens, as we learn from Demosthenes, was the arbiter of Greece 73 years, and Lacedaemonians next governed it 29 years. At a subsequent period, after the Battle of Leuctra, the Thebians had their turn of domination. It happened all too often, according to Plutarch, that the deputies of the strongest cities awed and corrupted those of the weaker, and that judgment went in favor of the most powerful party. Even in the midst of defensive and dangerous wars with Persia and Macedon, the members never acted in concert and were, more or fewer of them, eternally the dupes or the hirelings of the common enemy. 
The interval intervals of foreign war were filled up by domestic vicissitudes, convulsions, and carnage. If nothing else, reading the uh, Federalist Papers will, include, will improve your vocabulary greatly. After the conclusion of the war with Xerxes, it appeared that the Lacedaemonians, Lacedaemonians required that a number of cities should be turned out of the Confederacy for the unfaithful part they had acted. The Athenians, finding that the Lacedaemonians would lose fewer partisans by such a measure than themselves and would become masters of the public deliberations, vigorously opposed and defeated the attempt. This piece of history proves at once the inefficacy of the Union, the ambition and jealousy of its most powerful members, and the dependent and degraded condition of the rest. The smaller member, members, though entitled by the theory of their system to revolve in equal pride and majesty around the common center, had become, in fact, satellites of the orbs of primary magnitude. Had the Greeks, says Abbe Milo, been as wise as they were courageous, they would have been admonished by experience of the, nece of the necessity of a closer union and would have availed themselves of the peace which followed their success against the Persian arms to establish such a reformation. Instead of this obvious policy, Athens and Sparta, inflated with the victories and the glory they had acquired, became first rivals and then enemies and did each other infinitely more mischief than they had suffered from Xerxes. Their mutual jealousies, fears, hatreds, and injuries ended in the celebrated Peloponnesian War, which itself ended in the ruin and slavery of the Athenians who had begun it. As a weak government, then not at war, is ever agitated by internal dissensions, so these never fail to bring on fresh calamities from abroad. The Phocians, having plowed up some consecrated ground belonging to the Temple of Apollo, the Aphictionic Council, that's a hard word, A-M-P-H-I-C-T-Y-O-N-I-C, Amphictionic, according to the superstition of the age, imposed a fine on the sacrilegious offenders. The Phocians, being abetted by Athens and Sparta, refused to submit to the decree. The Thebans, with others of the city, undertook to maintain the authority of the Amphictyons and to avenge the violated god. The latter, being the weaker party, invited the assistance of Philip of Macedon, who had secretly fostered the contest. Philip gladly seized the opportunity of executing the designs he had long planned against the liberties of Greece. By his intrigues and bribes, he won over to his interest the popular leaders of several cities. By their influence and votes, gained admission into the Amphictyonic Council, and by his arts and his arms, made himself master of the Confederacy. Such were the consequences of the fallacious principle on which this interesting establishment was founded. Had Greece, says a judicious observer on her fate, been united by a stricter confederation and preserved in her union, she would never have worn the chains of Macedon and might have proved a barrier to the vast projects of Rome.
The Achaean League, as it is called, was another society of Grecian republics which supplied us with valuable instruction. The union here was far more intimate and its organization much wiser than in the preceding instance. It will accordingly appear that, though not exempt from a similar catastrophe, it by no means equally deserved it. The cities composing this league retained their municipal jurisdiction, appointed their own officers, and enjoyed a perfect equality. The Senate, in which they were represented, had the sole and exclusive right of war and peace, of sending and receiving ambassadors, of entering into treaties and alliances, of appointing a chief magistrate or, or praetor, as he was called, who commanded their armies and who, with the advice and consent of ten of the senators, not only administered the government in the recess of the Senate, but had a great share in its deliberations when assembled. According to the primitive constitution, there were two praetors associated in the administration, but on trial a single one was preferred. It appears that the cities had all the same laws and customs, the same weights and measures, and the same money. But how far this effect proceeded from the authority of the federal council is left uncertain, is left in uncertainty. It is said only that the cities were in a manner compelled to receive the same laws and usages. When Lacedaemon was brought into the league by Philopomen, it was attended with an abolition of the institutions and laws of Lycurgus and an adoption of those of the Achaeans. The Amphictyonic Confederacy, of which she had been a member, left her in the full exercise of her government and her legislation. This circumstance alone proves a very material difference in the genus of the two systems. It is much to be regretted that such imperfect monuments remain of this curious political fabric. Could its interior structure and regular operation be ascertained, it is probable that more light would be thrown by it on the science of federal government than by any of the like experiments with which we are acquainted. One important fact seems to be witnessed by all the historians who take notice of Achaean affairs. It is that as well after the renovation of the League by Artus, or Eratus, as before its dissolution by the arts of Macedon, there was infinitely more of moderation and justice in the administration of its government, and less of violence and sedition in the people than were found in any of the cities exercise, exercising singly all the prerogatives of sovereignty. As Abbey Mabley, in his observation on Greece, says that the popular government, which was so tempestuous everywhere, caused no disorder in the members of the Achaean Republic, because it was there tempered by the general authority and laws of the Confederacy. We are not to, to, not to conclude too hastily, however, that faction did not, in a certain degree, agitate the particular cities, much less that a due subordination and harmony reigned in the general system. The contrary is sufficiently displayed in the vicissitudes and fate of the Republic." Whilst the Amphictyonic Confederacy remained, that of the Achaeans, which comprehended the less important cities only, made little figure on the theater of Greece. When the former became a victim to Macedon, the latter was, spar was spared by the policy of Philip and Alexander. Under successors of these princes, however, a different policy prevailed. The arts of division were practiced among the Achaeans, 
each city was seduced into a separate interest. The union was dissolved. Some of the cities fell under the tyranny of Macedonian garrisons, others under that of usurpers springing out of their own confusion. Shame and oppression ere long await, awaken their liberty of love of liberty. Let me read that sentence again. Shame and oppression ere long awaken their love of liberty. A few cities reunited. Their example was followed by others, as opportunities were found of cutting off their tyrants. The League soon embraced almost the whole Peloponnesus. Macedon saw its progress, but was hindered by internal dissensions from stopping it. All Greece caught the enthusiasm and seemed ready to unite in one confederacy, when the jealousy and envy in Sparta and Athens of the rising glory of the Achaeans threw a fatal damp on the enterprise. The dread, of the, Macedo uh, the dread of Macedonian power induced the League to court the alliance of the kings of Egypt and Syria, who, as successors of Alexander, were rivals of the king of Macedon. So that would be the Ptolemaic Egypt and Seleucid Empire of Syria. They were rivals of the king of Macedon. This policy was defeated by Clemeni Clemenes, king of Sparta, who was led by his ambition to make an unprovoked attack on his neighbors, the Achaeans, and who, as an enemy to Macedon, had interest enough with the Egyptian and Syrian princes to effect a breach of their engagements with the League. The Achaeans were now reduced to the dilemma of submitting to Cleomenes or of, suppl of supplicating the aid of Macedon, its former oppressor. The latter expedient was adopted. The contests of the Greeks always afforded a pleasing opportunity to that powerful neighbor of intermeddling in their affairs. A Macedonian army quickly appeared. Cleomenes was vanquished. The Achaeans soon experienced, as often happens, that a victorious and powerful ally is but another name for a master. All that their most ob all that their most abject compliances could obtain from him was a toleration of the exercise of their laws. Philip, who was now on the throne of Macedon, soon provoked by his tyrannies, fresh combinations among the Greeks. The Achaeans, though weakened by internal dissensions and by the revolt of Messini, one of its members being joined by the Aetolians and the Athenians, erected the standard of opposition. Finding themselves though thus supported, unequal to the undertaking, they once more had recourse to the dangerous expedient of introducing the successor of foreign arms. The Romans, to whom the invitation was made, eagerly embraced it. Philip was conquered, Macedon subdued, a new crisis ensued to the League. Dissensions broke out among its members, though these the Romans fostered. Callicrates and other popular leaders became mercenary instruments for inveiling their countrymen, the more effectually to nourish discord and dishonor and discord and disorder the Romans had to the astonishment of those who confided in their sincerity already proclaimed universal liberty. This was put another name more specious for the independence of the members on the federal head throughout Greece. With the same insidious view, they now seduced the members from the League by representing to their pride the violation 
it committed on their sovereignty. By these arts, this union, the last hope of Greece, the last hope of ancient liberty, was torn into pieces and such imbecility and distraction introduced that the arms of Rome found little difficulty in completing the ruin which their arts had commenced. The Achaeans were cut to pieces and Achaea loaded with chains under which it is groaning at this hour. I have thought it not superfluous to give the outlines of this important portion of history, both because it teaches more than one lesson and because, as a supplement to the outlines of the Achaean Constitution, it emphatically illustrates the tendency of federal bodies rather to anarchy among the members than to tyranny in the head. Publius. So that is our uh, Federalist paper for today. There's more examples from history of failed republics and why they failed and using those failures to support why the, the new federal constitution that was being proposed in 1787 should be adopted by the states. All right, let us recite together our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the colic for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this week. It's Friday. Make sure you get yourself to church on Sunday. If you go to my church, I'll see you Sunday. I am delaying my departure until after church because it's that important to gather with the saints. And I will be attending church in California on the Sunday I start my return. So I'll be doing the same thing on the way back, going to church, and then leaving right from church to come home. So just uh, make sure you get to church. Being a, being a part of the local church is so important to the life of the Christian. It is not something that we should forsake. And so your, your, your life as a Christian is truly found in your local church, in the fellowship of the saints, in sitting under the faithful teaching of the word. Find a Bible-believing church. There are plenty of good ones out there. It may have to go a while, go a ways from your home, but, I mean, I drive 35 minutes to church one way every Sunday, and I know people who drive much further. I have a friend in Canada who drives two hours to church across a mountain pass, every Sunday 
uh, as long as the pass is over in the winter because it's Canada and they get a lot more snow than we do. But as Dr. Lawson said... Of course there's bad churches. Um, then go find a good one. And if you have to drive to get to it, then it's worth the drive, I would say. You know? So get in your car and go. I mean, how bad do you want it? I mean, how important is the truth to you? Yep. So keep that in mind. Get yourself into a good church. Even if you have to drive a couple hours over a mountain pass, it's worth it to fellowship with the saints. It's worth it to the accountability and the, the fellowship. And it, church is a family. If you don't feel that way in your church, you really need to, to examine your heart and examine the church. And it could be that it's not a true church, and it could be that your heart is just not right. So repent and believe the gospel and get yourself into a good local church. So that's my advice for the next 12 days. Um, it's always my advice on Fridays, get to church. You need to be in church. All right, pray for me as I'm traveling. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. I'll see you back here on March 15th for another episode of Scroll Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.